Have you ever wondered what makes the difference between those couples who absolutely love to be together and the ones who merely tolerate each other in their old age? Hi, I'm Monica Tanner, wife to a super hunky man, mom to four kids, relationship coach, and intimacy expert. I help couples ditch resentment and roommate syndrome and increase communication, connection, and commitment so they can write and live out their happily ever after love story. Each week, I'm teasing out the principles that keep couples hopelessly devoted and in intoxicatingly in love with each other for a lifetime and beyond. I'm searching high and low for the secrets of happily ever after and sharing those secrets with you right here with sound marriage advice for couples who want to live happily ever after and achieve a truly intimate friendship because an awesome marriage makes life so much sweeter. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Secrets of Happily Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Monica Tanner, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Johanna Lynn. Johanna is the founder of the Family Imprint Institute with an international private practice. Science tells us that our biography becomes our biology. Your family lives on within you. Think of it as your emotional inheritance, and these imprints continue to influence you. The good news about epigenetics is that you can release how you hold the past within. Johanna provides solutions for the emotional patterns we all inherit from our families. Welcome, Johanna. How are you doing? I'm great, Monica. Nice to connect with you. Yes, very good. So for those of you who don't know you well, how did you become so obsessed with epigenetics and family dynamics? Well, I think I've always been fascinated by people, you know, why we do what we do, why we pick certain partners, and why certain habits are so hard to step away from for some people. And then epigenetics lent me down this whole whole road of all that we inherit from our family of origin and how that shapes our perspectives and how we show up in relationship. And it's been a love affair ever since. Very good. So can you start by giving us just like a simple definition of epigenetics for those of us who are new to the kind of theory or thought? Yeah, I like to use a computer analogy. It's like we share an operating system with our parents and our grandparents, and we really aren't born with a clear hard drive. We really are coming from a place of their experiences and what's unresolved for them. I love to think of it like the intelligence of the human body and almost like we're born prepared to deal with the challenges that our parents or grandparents overcame. And the challenge where we kind of hit a roadblock there is let's say we're living in a very safe, very prosperous community, but we're still living in the hypervigilance of, let's say, our grandfather who went through a war-torn situation or our father who didn't feel safe at school. And we don't know why we don't feel safe because everything in our reality shows us we should, but we can't seem to shake that feeling. Interesting. And so what do you think influences relationship choices on a subconscious? Like, how does this work as adults now that we're more aware of, you know, what's kind of being imprinted on us? But so we fall in love with the familiar as much as we might tell something very different to a dear friend about who we'd ideally love to be in relationship with, but we end up falling in love with what feels known. So we have that immediate click with someone that we, you know, just seem to vibe with. And then it takes a little bit of time until some of those relating patterns show up as, oh, you're really critical, just like my mom, or you're kind of absent and maybe prioritize work or travel or 
or soccer ahead of me feeling like I'm important. And so we kind of bump up against those places that we know in our body. And I like to think that our relationships are this beautiful way to release what we've been carrying inside that we kind of didn't even know was there until those buttons got pushed. So we can heal them. We can feel be free of them. Yeah, that's so cool. So I was just really talking about this with a friend the other day. So I wonder if you can like make sense of it for me. So I was taught because in my work, I have noticed that opposites often attract. I mean, you know, you hear that said all the time, but I really do find that to be true. A lot of times couples will come to me and they have the opposite view of a lot of things. And I have, I mean, that is in my own marriage, my husband and I have very different ways of seeing the world and opinions about things. We were raised very differently. But one thing I noticed is that my kind of core wound of growing up was this abandonment, right? Like I felt like I had to earn love or people in my family, I think were kind of quick to give up on something. And I've noticed that my husband that's healed because my husband never had that. Like my husband is so just steady Eddie. And when I would kind of freak out and be like, uh, I, you know, I, I don't deserve this. I'm just ready for him to walk out the door. He was always like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, yes, this is a difficult challenge for us, but I'm not going anywhere. And so I feel like that trust and all of the, and I could never have known that when I chose him, right. but he did really in all the ways that were different and all the challenges that we've kind of overcome together. He was never what I expected that I had to earn this love from him. Or if I screwed up enough times, he would just take off or those types of things. He really overcame that for me. Oh, beautiful. You're reminding me of a book I read and I think it was, and they talked about different people coming together in relationship with different attachment patterns. And so, you know, we've, if we've got high abandonment fear, you know, this, you know, I'll do anything as long as you don't leave me. I'll just, you know, hive off parts of myself as long as we can keep this together. And so that high abandonment feeling can interrupt that connection, especially if our other side, let's say, didn't do what your husband did, because that's what creates that deep, deep, secure attachment over time, moving through the challenges together. And what's so interesting in the studies that they showcased in this book is that those of us who have anxious attachment or insecure attachment, we can actually arrive into that secure attachment camp by being healthily loved in our primary relationship. This is where things can really shift and change. And we kind of know, oh, I can say that difficult thing, or I can broach that difficult topic. And I really feel in my body, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. And so that can be so beautifully healing. And now your relationship sits on more solid ground. So to me, that was such a surprise to read their research. And I just thought, well, that's great news. Yeah, but it kind of goes against sort of the common what's talked about there is that we kind of marry our wounds. And so that's what makes it so difficult. And so I just wonder, like, how did I get so lucky? Because I feel like I married the opposite of my wound. (laughs) So my guess is there are many elements in your husband that are still familiar. Mm -hmm. That's what would have attracted to you him in the first place. 
And so I think there can be cases where maybe you like to feel good about this, that you know, you did enough of your own work, you did enough of your own being able to receive the healthy love that because I, I work with a lot of couples. And at the beginning, she'll say, or he'll say, I was bored. This seemed too healthy. This seemed, you know, where's the drama? Because that was familiar that if we argue, if you really come to the bat, I know you love me. Right. And yet most of us, as we get a little older anyway, we want that calm. We want that peace. We want that connection we can count on. So my guess, it was a little bit of both for you. There are elements of familiar and you likely did the work to receive healthy love. I think you're probably right about that because my parents divorced when I was 12 and I literally was like, from that moment on, like obsessed with healthy, thriving relationships, right? So all of my study in college was all around that. So I tried to like give myself every advantage. But when push came to shove in our marriage, I did kind of go back to those wounds and those coping strategies that didn't work, but he didn't go anywhere. Like I think I I made it enough of a priority that he wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh-huh. to be able to do my own work within the marriage to to realize and now we have a very solid secure life you know we can we, we can be very intimate and very open and trusting because I do have that assurance now I'm like okay he's shown me he's not going anywhere and I've been oh. able to like resolve all that I have to earn this love and I have to be perfect and it's not going to work and those you know obviously when I got married I didn't feel like that was there but in the thick of marriage and childbearing and all of those things, it it came up and it came up hard. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that is the best. That is like what we all want to go for, the healing of our own stuff inside the beautiful container of that trusting relationship. And so I think it kind of goes on one end or the other end of that spectrum where we're doing just what you described in your marriage, or the challenge can be the patterns agitate each other and we kind of come apart. And, And sometimes, you know, I went through a divorce personally, and it was only until the other side, like in the heartache of the break down of the relationship that I could sort of look at, ooh, the parts of myself that contributed to that, what felt like, I guess, through discernment, you know, that's not the right partner for me because this and this, and this is how it sort of edged together. And there was, I think I learned the most about myself in that really difficult time, a kind of rebuilding from the ground up. And so isn't it funny that we as humans, we kind of go to one end of the spectrum or the other where we, as long as we can learn and, and build from that place, that's where we don't repeat it over and over again. So interesting. So speaking of that, how do our earliest experiences, and I actually can answer this question pretty good for myself, but how do our earliest experience influences how we show up in relationship? Because that is so prevalent. I see that all the time. Yeah. From my experience, and I know I really see it from the sort of family history systems lens, is our first love is our mom. And Mm -hmm. so how receptive she was to us or, and sometimes there were things that were outside of mom's control, you know, she had to go right back to work or gosh, grandma gets a scary diagnosis and it kind of pulls her attunement offline. And it's never about blaming our moms. It's just about understanding where maybe our attachment cup didn't get the full connection of what we needed. And so this becomes a baseline for how we trust love, for how we show up in relationship, what we feel we can express as a 
boundary or how far we might go in our communication. It all sort of guides from this unconscious place, like a body memory kind of place. And so our first love, our mom, becomes our template for how future relationships unfold. And so a lot of the times when I work with couples, you know, there's this sort of premise in our philosophy that systems marry systems. And so where's that overlap? Again, where's that familiarity? How did this, how did you guys fit like a puzzle piece? Mm-hmm. And now we want to look at both sides, early life experience for how they're navigating intimacy. And, and even when I'm supporting couples through their divorce proceedings, how they're navigating separation. Can I stay open even when it hurts? Can I own my part instead of just staying in blame and, and hurt? Both such tender areas, either we deepen intimacy or, or, or it's coming apart. And it's all from that foundation. Yeah. So how do we, I mean, is there a way we can kind of detect what's happening? Like, you know, see it happening as the pattern and shift it or? Hmm, Good question. I think the more we can know about our early life, the better. Mm -hmm. I've worked with many clients who, you know, they're in their 40s, 50s, life's humming along. And you say, you know, what was going on for your mom when she was pregnant with you? Oh, I have no idea. I never thought of that. Or were there any medical interventions or moments when you were separated from your mom, sort of at birth or the first few weeks of life? Gosh, I have no idea. I'd have to ask her. And those of us who are lucky enough to still have our moms here that we can kind of gather some of that information. But so much of that, I'm going to say the first five years of our life, that is really the set point or the foundation for our relational health, how safe we feel giving and receiving love. And so I kind of do a bit of a, a detective history work and and look at that first five years to find out as much about the facts of mom's pregnancy, the delivery, what happened in the first five years to get the lay of the land for how things are going today in some of the relationship challenges that they're up against. Really interesting. So let's talk about love blueprints and how we can enhance the love that flows into our relationship even using this information. Yeah. I think the more empowered we are about our past, the more we can connect the dots. Oh, you know, that's why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting. Or, you know, maybe we know we've fallen in love with someone who travels for work, but here they go again on their second trip this month and we're shutting down and we're feeling resentful. And so let's look at it not being about the logistics of the the distance, but let's look about what, what in your love blueprint does that mean for you? And so which parent was disconnected, what part maybe we feel disconnected from ourselves, and how are we building our own health in love from inside without needing our partner to sort of prop it up or to, to make us feel okay within, within that close proximity. So the, I think the good news is whatever sort of agitates us or triggers us is this beautiful open door towards really understanding what it's connected to so that we can solve it right at the root, right, right at the origin of where it started. I typically think we don't get much traction in just talking about you know, why this is hurtful or why this bothers me. We've really got to get to why it's a trigger and and, and heal it from that place. That's really interesting. So you talk about attachment, but like, what if one partner has a greater need for, you know, connection and closeness in a relationship and the other partner has a greater need to have their own space or autonomy or how does those things even have anything to do with knowing what happened to us when we were younger or yeah, you know, I, I laugh almost at that question because it's such a common dynamic. I see it so often. 
And so those part of that opposites attract, right? It's hundred percent. Yeah. And so those of us who have that greater need for closeness, again, we want to recognize it's almost like we've got three situations here. We've got our history and needs, our partner's history and needs, and then the health of the relationship. So we can kind of separate it out as three moving parts. And to honor if, you, if you're the one that has more of that need for closeness, to really drop into where does that come from? And the term we use in my work is a break in the bond. Those of us who really want to be close, need to talk about it right away, have a really hard time tolerating separation. Again, it comes from a loss of connection with mom in the early years. And unconsciously, I'm wanting my partner to fill that gap that's been kind of there and growing for 20, 30 years, however we were old we were before we got to together. And we've got to be able to give to ourselves what we'd always wished mom could give, you know, give to ourselves what we would hope our partner would give, which includes buying yourself the flowers, you know, booking yourself the the weekend away to replenish and not simply waiting for them to read your mind or or fill the gap. Mm -hmm. And so there's this place where we just recognize here's a part of what was left over for me. And I can't expect my partner will know how to fill those spaces. Now, the partner that needs more space, that usually comes from a family dynamic where they were highly inundated, either inundated by one parent's expectations that you've got to be the footballer like I was, or you've got to be an academic like I was. And so there's this pressure to be something other than just who you are. And in more complicated situations, the inundation comes from a really needy mom who kind of leaned those needs into the developing child. And in a way, we leave our developing sense of self to be over there with the parent, you know, trying to prop them up to make them happy or proud or something to kind of jostle them out of their stuck place. And any one of us knows who raises children, our problems are adult problems. There's nothing really a child could do to make it better. And so then we're going to be highly aware, like at a, at a body memory of our the natural needs of our, of our partner and want to get some space from that. And so that can be a real dance between the repair of I didn't get enough of what I needed to too much was expected or required of me. And it, again, opposites attract and we see this, this pairing up happen very often. So true. So what can be done if you can't get on the same page with your partner and you're clashing, attacking, withdrawing any of those kind of negative patterns of interaction? Yeah, I think first, we've got to kind of stop and and pull back and recognize all of those things that you just mentioned, sort of the the classic harms in relationship. I I sort of think of it like we've got a sturdy tree, which is the the beginning of our marriage, and we've got all the hopes. And any one of those things is like taking the axe to the tree. And we all know the tree can only take so many axe cuts. And so every time we respond in that way, it's another hit. And so we've got to have enough of that, I'm not even sure the term, the I guess the ability to pull back back and really self-reflect. I think an action step that can be there beyond just, you know, breathing and try to try to find your ground again is to do something that looks like the work that I do with my clients in filling out a generational geneogram. So first for yourself and then for your partner. So really starting to look at, okay, how would I describe my mom? And I'm looking for adjectives. I don't want the story and this happened here. When I was seven, that happened there. We really want to get beyond the the blame or the hurt and just facts. So my mom was always there or my mom had to work three jobs. Um, My mom was quick to anger or my mom was as patient as a saint. So we're trying to really get an image or a picture of how the body holds 
our mom and dad. Mm. And then we do that the same. It might not even be the reality, but how we experienced our mom. As a child. Mm-hmm. So not how the relationship has grown and evolved as an adult, mm. but the, let's say, under 10 relationship that you remember about your mom. Mm-hmm. Because some of us, you know, gosh, mom was an alcoholic when I was growing up. She's been sober for 20 years, but my body remembers the inconsistency and the sometimes she was there and often she wasn't. And that's the relationship blueprint. That's where we're getting that unconscious reference point for how we show up now in relationship. So you're not saying that that's necessarily how we show up because that's how they showed up. It's just a Affecting how the triggers or different things that we respond or react to in our relationship. So there's nuances there. So let's say we use that example. Mom was an alcoholic. She's now sober. The relationship is good today. But I remember when I couldn't count on her. And I've got themes showing up in my relationship where I just can't count on him. Maybe he's just honestly forgetful. It doesn't have to be deceitful or something bad. But the feeling is I can't count on him. And so then we know there's a match there. So oftentimes it's less about what happened to us and it's more about how we've made sense of it, of whether or not it's going to repeat again. So if we have our heart closed to our parent and maybe we're still really stuck in blame or hurt or any one of those things, it's more likely to live out again in our current relationship or as we parent our kids. If we've come to peace with it, if we perfectly understand, oh gosh, of course mom was struggling with alcoholism. When I think about what happened with her mom, of course she was numbing. You know, we build the larger context. Yeah. And it's much less likely to to replicate. That's so interesting because I really have seen that play out in my life is the one who helped me resolve so much of the pain that I was feeling in my relationship was my mom. And it was like the understanding of how she got to be where who she was and how, you know, my grandma got to be who she was like really not as formal as you're describing it, but it was just really a matter of understanding that everybody in my genealogy just did the best that they could. And that's all that I can do as well. And it just made it a lot more like I'm not destined to repeat the pattern anymore. Like I get to choose now. That's right. It gets to be complete and back there and I get to choose from a different place. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. Awesome. Well, Johanna, this has been amazing. If you you could share the most important thing, like just anything out of your library of knowledge that would be the most important thing my audience can do to live happily ever after, what would be that thing? Oh my gosh, that's hard to distill down. (laughs) Um, You know, I think a big thing, I write a lot and I teach a lot about boundaries. I think that is an essential, sometimes invisible piece of what has a relationship go really well. So to pay really close body attention to where you're sort of on the edge of your boundary. And what I mean by that is where I kind of stop being myself, where I step into who do I think this person needs me to be, because whenever we're up against being our honest self, living with that authenticity and risking attachment, attachment seems to always win to the detriment of the relationship. So how can you be yourself and honestly share what's happening for you, even if it rocks the boat a little bit? Because I think those are the groundbreaking conversations we have with our spouse that get into the heart of the matter instead of just, you know, sidestepping this conflict and that one. And then before you know it, we've got so much stuff under that proverbial rug that there's no going back. That's so interesting. I call that differentiation. Is that what you call it? 
No, I, I don't. I, I think because I'm very body based, I, I do a lot with a lot of us have learned to build our boundary from the outside in like, Oh, mom said I did good on my test or dad said I was well behaved or whatever this early childhood stuff is. And so that's how I shape myself to be. Okay. And so a lot of the times when we're an adult, and especially when we want to have thriving, loving relationships from the inside out, does this conversation work for me? Do I feel loved and respected? Is this person my soft place to land? What can I do on my side to improve that? And what needs to be communicated about that doesn't feel loving to me? And, you know, they can be some really edgy conversations, but that's what brings us closer to intimacy and connection and a thriving love. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Can you tell the listeners where they can learn more about, I'm going to say it wrong, (laughs) epidemic? Epigenetics. Epigenetics. I'm like, oh dear, I need help. Yes. Can you tell the listeners where they can learn more about epigenetics and family systems and all the work that you do? Absolutely. It's joannalynn.ca. So just my name.ca because I'm from Canada. And I, I, you know, even mispronouncing epigenetics is because it is such a new thing to learn about. (laughs) That's why this conversation is so important. So thank you for having me as a guest. You bet. Thank you so much. If you had as much fun as we did just now, I hope that you'll head over to your favorite podcast player and leave a rating and review for the show. That's how other people can find this awesome content and we can spread the message that happily ever after is possible and a great marriage makes life so much sweeter. Feel free to head over to my website, monicatanner.com to learn more ways that you can work with me. And as always, thank you so much much for spending this time with me. We'll see you next week.